who doesn't go to this church. He just saw the cross, pulled over, got out and walked up to it and bowed down at the foot of the cross and began to pray. That's why we have a cross. You know why he did that? Because there's something about that cross that says God's love, God's mercy, God's forgiveness. It's where you go when you know you have no other option. You've tried everything. And now you're turning to God. It's what you should have done in the first place. Me too. But that blessed me. Because this church is all about the cross and the resurrection. So looking forward to next week. But hey, I'm excited about today. Now I want to read to you out of Luke 19, 28 through 38. We're just going to read the story of Jesus going into Jerusalem on the first Palm Sunday. This is Palm Sunday weekend. And let's read the story. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, the Mount of Olives, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go to the village opposite you, where as you enter, you're going to find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it to me. But if anyone says to you, what are you doing? Essentially stealing my car. Because this was their vehicle, the donkey. What are you doing stealing my car? What are you doing loosing the donkey? Jesus said, you say to him, the Lord has need of it. Now, those who were sent uh, went their way, found it exactly as Jesus said to them, because as they were loosing the colt, out comes the owner, and they say, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt. And they set Jesus on him. As he went, many spread their clothes on the road. And as Matthew's account says, also palm leaves. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Saying, now read it with me, everybody. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Isn't that a good thing to say? Father, we pray that today you will speak to us, that the word will reach deep into us and rearrange us and renew our minds and illuminate our spirits and our understanding so that we can know not only what you've done for us, but what you've called us to do. Lay your hand on us today, Lord. Change us that we will leave different than when we walked in the door. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell them God is good all the time and you can be seated. Now, here we have the account of Jesus entering into Jerusalem on the first Palm Sunday. And what's amazing about this is what's amazing about the Bible The greatest evidence that this is the word of God that I hold in my hand is the prophecies in it that have been fulfilled. Hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds and hundreds more that have been fulfilled, irrefutably fulfilled. Only God could do. And this of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey was one of those prophecies. Um, 
Zechariah prophesied in chapter 9, verse 9, 500 years before the event. Now, if we went back 500 years, we'd be in the year 1600. That's how long before the event, Zechariah predicted that it would happen. He said, I see Messiah coming, and that Messiah is going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's amazing. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. And Zechariah said, Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold your king coming unto you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding upon a donkey. Even upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now I want you to stop and think for a minute. God Almighty knew 500 years before the event the destiny of a donkey. If he knew the destiny of a donkey... Don't you think he knows our destiny? 500 years before this event happened, God, who dwells in a permanent present tense, uh, the future, he's already there. The past, he's there. He doesn't dwell in time like we do. And so God just saw this, this donkey, and he saw the Messiah riding the donkey into Jerusalem and knew all about him. It's amazing. He knew that he would be tied up. He knew that he would be a foal, a colt, a young donkey. He knew his past. That he'd never been ridden. He knew all about him. God knew all about a donkey 500 years before the event. What about you and me? He knows your name, your address, when you were born, the very microsecond you will die. God knows everything about us. He knows our thoughts afar off. Psalms 139 says he knows you're down sitting. He knows you're uprising. He knows your thoughts before you think them. And he knows your th- the words you're going to speak when you are far away. <clears throat> and so I see in the story of this donkey a pattern of how God deals with you and me. There's no question the way that God dealt with this donkey and the whole, all the events surrounding his existence and his destiny and the way they obtained him and the way he was brought to Jesus. It's a beautiful picture of, of us. Now I'm not calling us donkeys today, but I got to tell you the way that God dealt with this donkey, I can identify with it. Now let me just show you some things I mean. First of all, Jesus knew exactly where the donkey was to be found, knew exactly where he was. Listen to the verse. Go into the village opposite you, Jesus said. Go next door, the village that's just next door. And as you enter, you will find a colt. Now notice, Jesus knew that the donkey wasn't halfway through town or on the other side of town. He said, go next door, the town next door. And as soon as you walk in, as you enter, he's going to be right there. I see him. This just spoke to me because I want you to understand today, it's very important we get our Christology straight. Now, what's Christology? It's what you believe about Christ. And let me tell you what we ought to believe about Christ because the Bible tells us this, that Jesus was very God. Jesus is and was God. In the beginning was the Word, John wrote, and the Word was with God, and the Word was very God. He didn't just represent God. He didn't just speak for God. Jesus was God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. 
Jesus was not just a good man. He was not just a charismatic man. He was not just another religious figure among many. Jesus was God wrapped in skin. Jesus was God in flesh. He became one of us. The Bible says he condescended. He left all of his rights, all of his privileges, all of his glory, and he condescended and became one of us. And this Jesus saw this donkey right where he was, knew all about him, knew that he was tied up, knew his past, that he'd never been ridden. Jesus knew all about him. And you say, well, why does this matter, Pastor Jeff? Because I want you to know that before you knew him, he knew you. He knew all about you. And if you're far away from him today, I want you to know that he knows all about you. He knows you. He knows you because he's God. Jesus knew all about this donkey. And I got to thinking about another situation that showed the omniscience of the Lord. He is omniscient, knows everything. He's omnipotent, he's all-powerful. And he's omnipresent, he's everywhere at once. You can't say that about the devil. He's in one place. He can't be omnipresent everywhere at once. But our Savior is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He knows everything. He is very God. And one day, uh, a man named Nathaniel approached Jesus after Philip had told Nathaniel about having found the Messiah. Hey, 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 Nathaniel, we, we think we have found the Messiah. Nathaniel was curious. And it says, Nathaniel approached Jesus. And as he was approaching Jesus, Jesus read his mail. Jesus said, before Nathaniel could say a word, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. He never met him. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, Jesus is telling him, before you ever approached me and I ever saw you in flesh and blood, I saw you and where you were, I saw you under the fig tree. That word saw is very powerful in the original language. It means to know. So what he's really saying is, before I ever met you in person, Nathaniel, I knew all about you. I knew your weaknesses. I knew your strengths. I knew what was making you hurt. I knew the pressures. I knew the stresses. I knew the temptations assailing you. I knew your heart. I knew your mind. I knew your thoughts. I know you, Nathaniel. Nathaniel is standing there having his mail read, which is what Jesus did and does. See, when Jesus looked at you, he saw right through you. He scanned you and he knew you because you were looking in the very eyes of God when you looked in the eyes of Jesus. Isaiah tells us there wasn't anything attractive about him physically. He was not a looker. There was no beauty, Isaiah said, that we would desire him. We would not be drawn to him because of his physical attractiveness. But Jesus was magnetic. People were irresistibly drawn to him or repelled by him. Because you knew you were not in the presence of somebody normal or typical. When he looked at you, God was looking at you. Can you imagine that? God looking at you. God that created the world is looking at you. I saw where you were, Nathaniel. I, I knew where to find you. You were under the fig tree. He knew his character. Behold, an Israelite is, in whom is no deceit. 
I knew where to find you, son. I knew where to find you, daughter. I think of where the Lord found me. Aren't you glad to know that wherever you were, he knew where you were? And he knew where to find you. And that, that's one of the things that really blesses me because you can't go into a, deeper, a deep enough pit to avoid the Lord. If you're in a deep pit, he'll find you. He knows where you are. You may feel today like you're in a place that even God can't reach you. I'm going to tell you, God can reach you because God knows where you are. The psalmist said, if I grow wings and fly to the othermost parts of the sea, even there you will find me. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you will find me there. If I go up into heaven, you're going to find me there. There's no hiding from God. He's going to get you. He's going to find you. If you run from God, when you're finally out of breath and stop, he's standing there. Hello. So this little donkey is like you and me. He knew exactly where to find us. Found me in juvenile home, 16 years old, on a sale of narcotics charge. Didn't know anything about Christ, but he sent somebody to find me. He knew I was in that little cell. He looked and knew that I was there and sent someone to me, and he found me. Now, the next thing I see here, there's so much more in this story. He knew something very important about this donkey. He knew that he was bound. He knew that he was tied up. He says, you're going to find a colt, but let me tell you the condition of the colt. You're going to find him tied. Tied. I read that, and it just went, wah. He was bound. He not, not only knows where to find us, but he knows what he's going to find. He knows the condition we're in. This donkey was not free. He couldn't come and go as he wanted. He was tied up, and he needed to be loosed. I got to thinking, as I thought of this, of the story of Mephibosheth. Now, if you don't know Mephibosheth, just try saying it real fast. Mephibosheth. Let's try it. Mephibosheth. He was the mad King Saul's grandson and Jonathan's son. Now, you remember that David and Jonathan had a relationship uh, that was best friends. They were BFFs. I learned that three weeks ago, and I'm using it all the time now. Best friends forever. BFFs. Now, they were BFFs. How many of you feel like you're always trying to catch up with technology? So, so praise God. you got a pastor that's trying. Now, watch this. They were best friends, and they made a covenant one day, and they said, here's the covenant. If I go before you do, I will watch over your descendants. And if you go before I do, you watch over my descendants. And they made a covenant to protect each other's extended families. Well, long after Jonathan had been killed, you remember Jonathan and Saul, the madman, the mad king, who had persecuted David for 10 long years, chased him all through the wilderness, made his life a living hell. They died in battle, both of them, And David ascended the throne. Long after David ascended the throne, the Bible says that King David began to ask a question. He said, is there still anybody who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for, watch this, for Jonathan's sake? Because me and my BFF, we made a covenant. The covenant was that I would protect his descendants and he would protect mine, whoever went first. And he died in battle. I lost my best friend. I lost him in battle. But now I remember what I promised. And I want to protect 
and bless for Jonathan's sake his descendants. Well, somebody was standing there named Ziba. And Ziba said to the king, well, there is still a son of Jonathan. David perked up. There is? There's a son of Jonathan? He said, yeah, but you need to know, O king, he's lame in his feet. He's crippled. Now, Mephibosheth was lame, crippled in his feet, because he had been dropped as a child. When King Saul and Jonathan were killed, uh, his nursemaid, he was just a little guy, and his nursemaid freaked out thinking, uh-oh, the enemy is coming straight for the palace because now there's no king and the, and, and the heir apparent is also dead. So I've got to flee with this little boy and protect his life. So they're running downstairs just like this, and she tripped and she dropped him. And when he hit the ground, he hit it on his feet, on his ankles, and it broke them, and they never healed right, and he was crippled the rest of his life. David said, really, there's one out there and he's lame. That's okay. His name's Mephibosheth. Okay. But then the guy said, there's more. He's he's living in, in a place called Lodabar. Now, Lodabar in the Hebrew means land of nothing. Land of nothing. Land of emptiness. So here was this poor man, dropped as a child, living out his days in an empty land of nothing, carrying around the consequences of his fall. He never woke up and said, good morning, Lord. He always woke up and said, good Lord, it's morning. He had a fear. He had a fear that David, he didn't know the covenant that David had cut with Jonathan, his dad. He had a fear that David would one day find out where he was and come and execute him to take vengeance on the house of Saul, who, as I told you, had made David's life hell for 10 years. So as far as Mephibosheth knew, this new king, David, was going to come after him. So one day, the Bible goes on to say that King David sent and brought him out from Lodabar, where there was a knock on the door. He heard the horses coming. He saw the chariot that had come, but he probably thought, "Uh uh-oh, this is it. They have found me. This is my last day. They're going to execute me. But what he thought was bad news was good news because David didn't send him to curse him. He sent for him to bless him. He wanted to bless him for Jonathan's sake. So here comes the knock on the door. I think for a while he didn't answer it. Nobody's home. They knew he was home. He finally looked through a little bit and they said, come with us. The king wants to meet you. He said, oh no. He gets in the chariot, went for that long ride. But when he got to the palace, David came out smiling. David hugged him. David embraced him. And David said, because of Jonathan, I'm going to bring you into my house. You're going to live under my roof. I'm going to feed you from the king's table. When Solomon is there, when all of my children are there, you, Mephibosheth, are also going to be there because I'm adopting you and bringing you in as one of my own because I made a covenant with Jonathan. And because I made that covenant, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to care for you the rest of your days. King David brought Mephibosheth out of nothing into something out of nowhere into somewhere, out of poverty into plenty. He who had been tied up and bound up in tragedy and sorrow was set free. Now, folks, I know you know where I'm going, but I'm going to go anyway. We too, think back. 
We too were bound up in our own Lodabar, weren't we? I don't have to remember long to remember what it was like to live in sin. You talk about a land of nothing, a land of sorrow, a land of pain. You live out there in sin and you live in that world and it will curse you. It will vex you. It will rob you. It will sap you of all of your strength and energy and potential. It'll leave you barren and blind and, 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 and dead. But then thank God a king had us on his mind. I want you to think about this. A king had, and you may not know it, but I want to tell you, a king's got you on his mind today. You are on the Lord's mind. The Bible says that the way we used to be is at one time you were dead because of your sins. You followed the sinful ways of the world and obeyed the leader of the power of darkness. You obeyed the leader of the power of darkness. He is the devil who is now working in the people who do not obey God. At one time, all of us lived to please our old selves. We gave into what our bodies and minds wanted. We were sinful from birth like all other people, and we suffered from the anger of God. But then, what we did not know, like Mephibosheth did not know, there is a king in heaven that had us on his mind. And that king was actually God. You know what God said? Who can I bless for Jesus' sake? Because Jesus, my only begotten son, stretched out his arms and his feet and was nailed to that tree. And his precious blood flowed down that cross. And he gave his very life for the redemption of the world so that whoever puts their faith in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. He will bring you to the king's table. He will bring you into the king's house. He will put a ring on your finger and shoes on your feet and a robe of righteousness over your back. And he will change you from the inside out. His name is Jesus Christ. And it happened the same way with us. One day, there was a knock on the door of our heart, and we said, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in real trouble with God. But it was the Holy Spirit. And he said, he doesn't want to curse you. He wants to bless you. He wants to resurrect you. He wants to redeem you, and he wants to save you. One of the biggest lies that Satan tells people in their minds is that God is out to get them. That's true. But he's not out to get you in a bad way. He's out to get you forgiven. He's out to get you blessed. He's out to get you delivered. He's out to get you redeemed. He's out to make your life something it wouldn't. Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to me. The Bible says God had so much loving kindness. He loved us with such a great love. Even when we were dead because of our sins, he made us alive by what Christ did for us. Like the donkey, Jesus knew where to find us. We were in our own Lodabar. It might have been internal or external, but it was an empty place. And the condition we were in is tied up, which brings me to the next thing I see with this donkey. The donkey's destiny, for it to be fulfilled, something had to happen. In this donkey's life, for his destiny that Zechariah had predicted five centuries before to be fulfilled. The Bible says Jesus said, when you find him, he's going to be tied up. And here's what I want you to do. He said, when you see him, disciples, you say, loose it and bring it here. When you find him, 
he said to the disciples, loose it and bring it here. Do you know that Jesus is in the loosing business? He said, well, loosing it from what, Pastor? I don't know what you mean. Only Jesus can loose you from the power of sin. You see, Jesus said, you're going to know the truth and the truth is going to make you free. He said, he whom the son frees is free truly indeed. What was he talking about? There is a power that grips every person born into this planet. It is the power of sin. It's the downward pull into an ungodly lifestyle. It is breaking God's commandments because our nature is flawed. It is flawed because we were all dropped in life. As Mephibosheth was dropped, when his nursemaid dropped him and his feet were crippled, we also were dropped. We were dropped when Adam fell. And when Adam fell, we were dropped. And when we were dropped, we became crippled. We became crippled in this sense that we can't walk a straight path because our nature is flawed. David said, I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. The Bible says all of sin and are continually falling short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We have all turned aside. We've all gone astray. We've all gone our own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Without his intervention, we would all go to hell. We would all be damned. But Jesus died for us. He made us alive when we were dead. Dead in our sins. And yet, watch this with me. One day, Jesus heard that his friend Lazarus was sick. Mary and Martha called for him. Hurry up, hurry up. He's got a fever. He's really sick. We want you to come heal him. He didn't move. He waited for him to die. When he got there, they thought he was four days late. They thought God had let them down. They thought that God had disappointed them and not answered their prayer. They were offended in Jesus. And Jesus just said, take me to the tomb. Where is he? And they said, Lord, there's a stone over his tomb. And by the way, we can't move. He stinketh. He's been down there four days. Can I tell you that Jesus majors in dealing with things that stinketh? He deals with stinketh marriages and stinketh habits and stinketh this and stinketh that. Jesus loves stepping into that which stinketh. (laughs) And speaking resurrection power over it. How many of you can say my life, it stinketh or it did stinketh. It stunketh. They rolled the stone away and Jesus talked down and spoke to a dead man and said, come up. And Lazarus came out. You know how he came out? Here's how he came out. The Bible says the dead man came out bound. Wait a minute. He's resurrected, but he's bound. He's resurrected, but he's still bound. And then it says bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. See, they had mummified him. They buried a dead man, but Jesus said, Lazarus come forth and he came out, but he came out bound. Now the hands represent your labor. Hands represent the labor of your hands, the labor of your life, your work. And the idea is that a resurrected person should give their, their life to righteous labor. His feet 
The feet have to do with the direction your life is going. And his feet were bound. He was resurrected, but his feet were still bound. His face was covered. His face would have shown the glory of a resurrected man, but you couldn't see it because his face still had grave clothes on it. So Jesus said to those around him, loose him. And they began to unravel. First, his hands got free. I'm free to do righteous labor. Then his feet got free. I'm free to go on a righteous path. Then they got the bandages off his face. I am free to show forth the glory of a resurrected person. Your face is God's greatest billboard. When that which is in you comes out, it comes out through your eyes, through your speech, through your face, through your countenance. And all of that needed to be loosed and set free. When Jesus comes into our life and we are resurrected as a born again person, we are immediately resurrected from the dead when we can say, Jesus, come into my heart. I forgive or I believe that you died for me. I ask you to forgive me. The Holy Spirit comes into you and you are the recipient of a brand new nature. But guess what? Resurrected people are still bound. Sometimes he sets you free immediately, but, and sometimes it takes time. But the minute he comes into your heart, the unraveling of the old grave clothes begins to take place and God begins to set you free. So don't worry. You're not going to maybe get everything you want overnight, but you're going to get it because they took the promised land city by city, step by step, inch by inch. And when I got saved, some things were immediately, I was immediately loose from some things, but other things over time, there was a slow, gradual, steady unraveling of those grave clothes, the grave clothes of past habits, the grave clothes of stinking thinking. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, And the ruler of the kings of the earth unto him that loves us and loosed us from our sins by his blood. You know how you get loosed? The blood of Jesus. You get loose from things that you'll never loose yourself from. There was a man in the first service. He grabbed me before the first service. He grabbed me before he knew what I was preaching. He said, Pastor Jeff, I've been here a few years and I got saved in this building. Do you remember me? And I looked at him. I I did remember him. He said, you bought me a Bible. And I do remember that. He was in the foyer and he didn't have one. And he he was really struggling. So I went and got him a Bible, really nice Bible, and gave it to him. He said, you know, I got resurrected when I got saved. But, he said, all these years, I have not been free to worship God. When everybody's worshiping, I'm bound. I can't get those hands in the air and I can't seem to release myself to worship God with abandon. He said, but a few weeks ago, something started happening to me. And before I knew it, my hands were in the air. Now you guys say, well, Pastor Jeff, your hands don't have to be in the air. No, they get to be in the air. The Bible says to men, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Can I assure you men, there's nothing effeminate or sissified or wimpy or weird about a man lifting his hands. Can I say it? Real men praise God. So he went half-masked, and then he got all the way up. 
And, and so what was that? It was the unraveling of the grave clothes. It took a, some time, but it happened. That's why some of you don't need to be discouraged. If you're struggling, you've been trying, and there's still some residue, some, some carryover from your past, hang on, keep on seeking Jesus. Those grave clothes are coming off. I see one last thing here. The protest of the owner. As they were loosing the colt, the owner said to them, why are you loosing the colt? That struck me. We used to tell new Christians, and I still do sometimes today. Uh, I talked to them about Satan's last stand. We see in this cold weather, it's winter's last stand. See, when Satan loses somebody, he really held. He doesn't like it. And he, and he comes after that young person, just like, just like it was, it was decreed that, that all the babies in Bethlehem would be killed. Trying to get Jesus before he had a chance to grow up. The devil comes after young Christians. And I noticed that these young converts, all hell would break loose against them after they'd experienced the joy of their salvation. And so I began to say, this is just Satan's last stand, but I want you to understand something. The reason he's kicking up a fuss is because he knows he's lost you. He used to be your owner. Before you come to Christ, he's your owner. At one time you were dead, Paul said, because of your sins. You follow the sinful ways of the world and you obey the leader of the power of darkness. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and Sadducees and said, you are of your father, the devil, and his lusts you will do. So when, before we're saved, our father is not God. Not all children are or all human beings are God's children. You must be born again or you're not God's child. So Pastor Jeff, that's not right. He loves us all. He loves us all. But you're not his child until you're born again. Hate to break it to you, but I didn't break it to you. Jesus did. This is why he said, you must be born again. Born once you're lost, born twice you're found. Born once you're blind, born twice you see. Born once, you're going to hell. Born twice, you're going to heaven. Born once, you're a child of the devil. Born twice, you're a child of God. Jesus said, if you don't get born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. So we had to obey the devil as his children before we were saved. But after we're saved, it says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So now we have the legal right to say to the devil, get off my case. I have been loosed and set free. I no longer have to obey the, the, the sins of my flesh. Sin shall no longer have dominion over, over me. Sin is no longer my master. I am a blood-bought, spirit-filled, redeemed child of the living God. Loose me and let me go. And I want to close with this, the investment that others made in this donkey's destiny. I never saw this till this week. It says that they brought him to Jesus. Here he was. He had been found. He had been loosed. He had been brought. He was ready almost. Because it says they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set their clothes on him. Do you see what's happening here? He's found, he's loosed, he's brought, he's almost ready. But for Jesus to ride him, they had to make a kind of a makeshift cushiony saddle. Others had to invest of their own stuff into this donkey's destiny. 
I said, let me tell you what that says to me. There's no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. Sorry, Clint Eastwood, and sorry, Arnold, and sorry, all the others who had this persona of I'm a self-made man. No, you're not. Do you know that every one of us stand on the shoulders of people who have thrown their own clothes on us, figuratively speaking? I think back in my own life. I got saved, and, 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 I, and I, the Lord found me in, in the jail cell when I was 16. He loosed me. Uh, he brought me, and I was brought to Jesus, and, and he called me. But I was a rough cut. I had some rough edges. I, I needed some help. I needed people to teach me how to move in social circles. I needed people to teach me how to dress. I needed people to help me in my education. And, and there were all kinds of things. I was ready to carry Jesus into the city, but I needed some refinement. So you know what the Lord did? He brought people who saw the calling, saw the destiny, and they contributed to who I became. I think of, I think of my pastor who I said, can you hire me? I've got 500 college and career people in this church. Can you hire me? He said, no. I said, why? He says, because you're not finished with college. I said, I don't need college. He said, yes, you do. And I said, no, I don't. I'm going to the nations of the world. I don't have time for college. He said, then I can't hire you. Maybe I've got time. He said, I said, I thought a great excuse. I don't have any money. He said, let me tell you what I'm going to do. You go find out your tuition and you find the cost of your books and you come tell me between you and me alone, and I'm going to write you a check. So I went to UNT, University of North Texas, got the cost of tuition and books, went back and told him privately. He wrote me a check, threw his clothes on me. Something from him. I think of all the times Billy Graham inspired me, watching him on TV when I was down and struggling. When you hear me say, Jesus, that's Billy. (laughs) Billy's talking to you out of me. He affected me. I'm serious. He affected me. Praise the Lord. I think of George and Jerry Teske, who God brought into my life when I was just just beginning to walk in the Spirit. They became my spiritual parents. They embraced me. Mistakes and all, failures and all, they embraced me. They loved me. They continually exhorted me and encouraged me and and told me, we see this, we see that on your life, and, and I want you to see it. And they prodded me forward. They made me speak to my first group in juvenile home and learn the ropes of of evangelism. I stand today on their shoulders. My old pastor, Brother Howard Knatzer, I learned to preach from him. You're hearing many people talk to you out of me right now, and you and I are the same way. You know what our calling here is at Turning Point? It is to find you, loose you, bring you to Jesus, and contribute and invest in your destiny with our own blood, sweat, and tears. And that's why we're here. And it's flourishing up around us everywhere. Can you stand with me today? Here it is in summary. Jesus knew the cult before the cult ever knew him. He knew exactly where to find him. He loosed him. He rebuked the cult's former owner on his behalf. And others made personal investments in his destiny. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I thank you for this powerful story. 
this true historical account. And I pray that every person in this room will be loosed. And that every person in this room will be discipled by someone brought into their life willing to throw their own clothes onto them and invest in what they become. I thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Let's get the fire and the rock to come down here now. Thank you, Lord. Folks, and we just lift our hands and thank the mighty Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to say with me, Lord, thank you for finding me. And thank you for loosing me. Go ahead and tell him. And thank you, Lord, for bringing people into my life who have invested in my destiny. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.